Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. All right. We're looking forward to diving into today. We're in a series entitled Fight Night. How many thought you could go to church and learn how to fight? I mean, isn't that just awesome? You're going to learn how to fight today. It's so great. You're saying, you don't look like the type of guy that could teach me how to fight. What are you trying to say? I'm really hurt by that. I'm offended. I'm now going to build a wall and block you out, okay? I'm just kidding. Last week, we talked about the fence of offense. And we talked about how sometimes people come into our lives and they do hurtful and mean things and they offend us and we have a choice to make. We can either take those offenses and we can either build a wall that separates us from them or we can take those pieces of the fence and we can drop it. And it's hard. It's not easy. But it's one of those things that as we grow in maturity that we're then able to do. And so that's what this series is really all about because we're we're around people. And when you're around people, guess what you're going to have? Conflict. Conflict is everywhere. There's no avoiding it. There's no getting around it. Any person you meet, you eventually hang around them long enough, you're going to have conflict with them. You have children, you're going to have conflict. If you have more than one child, you're going to have double the conflict. More children, more conflict. You see how it goes? I mean, and some of you don't learn. You're just like, keep going and going. I'm just kidding. That's great. We love, love babies here at Southers. It's just awesome. But God is doing something great. But there's this conflict. Hey, you even at your job run into conflict. Conflict is just everywhere. So we start in week number one that you can approach your relationships with one of two ways. You can approach it with a mirror or a magnifying glass. So you can walk around and it's real easy to spot everybody's faults. Or you can walk around with a mirror that shows you your faults. It says it's not about them, it's about me. God, what do you want to fix about me? What do I need to change about me? What should I do to change? How many think that right there would be game-changing for your relationship? You're like, yes, if my spouse would just do that, my life would be so much better. No, 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 you missed the point. It's not about what they should do. It's about what I should do. That's the focus. Then week number two, so many times people are talking about, oh, it's all about the chemistry, and I want really good chemistry. Don't get me wrong. Chemistry is a wonderful thing. Chemistry is awesome. But chemistry only lasts until the first conflict. You need more than chemistry. It's all about the content. So we, we had two cans, and one we shook up, and we opened and exploded. The other we opened, and nothing happened to it. Even though it was the same conditions, it was different contents. And so you and I, in our relationship, it's not about the conditions. It's about the contents, what's inside. That's what matters. And then last week, we talked about how to, how to deal with the offenses that are bound to happen. Because, come on, your spouse is annoying sometimes. It's just reality. Some of you said, wait, amen, way too loud. Or some of you were just like, yes, preach it, park it there. And that's not the right reaction. Some of you should have looked at your spouse and be like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know. This may not be the church for us. Like, that you never, never, all right? That's how you score brownie points, okay? We need to work on this, fellas. Man, but we are so glad you're here because you and I, when we step into the ring of relationships, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have conflict. So we've been really learning how to deal with conflict. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a biblical character. Her name is Esther. And here's why we love Esther. Esther is this incredible character that to our knowledge, that we, that her relationship, we never know if Xerxes was ever a Christian. Nothing in scripture alludes to the fact. Nothing. Scholars don't know if he ever came to believe what his wife believes. And some of you are in a similar situation. You're like, man, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to, but my spouse, they're not. 
Or in the same book, we see that there's no mention of God. And so maybe you feel a little bit helpless in the relationship. You're just like, where's God in all this? I don't know if he's there. And so it's this book that we kind of jump into. And this book has some really powerful lessons for us. Because it's out of this book we're going to learn how to fight in a relationship. Now, it's a different kind of fighting. You see, we all know how to fight. I mean, some of us, we're experts at fighting, aren't we? I mean, you're like, man, I know how to yell with the best of them. I know how to throw down. I know how to obliterate my opponent. I mean, some of you, you took debate in high school and in college, and you didn't let that skill go in marriage. You're like, I will keep doing this, and you are good. I mean, you get into an argument, and you win all day long. How many of you, you're the type that you are really quick, and you got the comebacks? Let me just see you. Yeah, yeah. I'm jealous of people like you. I'm the guy walking away like, oh, I should have said that. You know what I mean? That's me. It doesn't hit me till later. Like two days later, I'm in the shower. I'm like, oh, that would have been so good. You know, like, man, I would have just nailed him with that comment. You know what I mean? And that's me. So when I get to argue with you, I really don't like you because you guys come out with these one-liners, these singers, and I'm just pummeled. I'm just done. And some of you are like that in your relationship. There's one spouse that man or one person in the relationship, they're really good. They just, even if they're wrong, they can make you think they're actually right and you're wrong. Yeah. Some of you start looking, you're like, that's what you do, you know? And uh, so that's just what can happen in a relationship. And so we have to be careful about it. But we're learning in this series how to approach it differently. How to fight, not just fair. Everybody says, just fight fair. What kind of fight is that? No, it's not about fighting fair. This is about a McGregor and Merriweather fight. Fix the fight. That's what it's about. Fix it. Make some money. Now, we're fixing the fight so the relationship wins. We gave you notes. We gave you a pen because we want you to write things down. But I believe they'll be helpful to you. Because some of you, you're like, yes, I won the argument. You know what that means? It wasn't that your spouse or your partner lost. What actually lost was the relationship. You think you won while you're killing the relationship. The more you chalk up a win for you, the more that the relationship is dying. And some of us don't know that the relationship is on life support because we just keep chalking up wins for ourselves. Oh, I won that argument. Oh, yeah, I bought the car because I'll show him or I'll show her. And I bought those and I did this and I raised my kids like this. And we're not realizing what we're doing in the relationship. So we're fixing the fight so the relationship wins. And so we're going to look at some powerful principles from this awesome, amazing woman by the name of Esther. So that being said, we're going to dive in. But we all got to stand up for a second. Let's all stand. Because I'm just a little bit energized this morning. You guys look so good. You guys smell so nice. And I'm just happy to be around you. So you need to high five five people and tell them they look amazing today. You just need to high five five people. Say they look amazing today. Five people. They look amazing. We fight about anything anything. It doesn't take much for the conflict to erupt, and that starts a chain reaction. And so somebody will come up to you, and they'll say, how's it going? And you and I will say something to the effect of, so far, so good. But really, when we say that, we're kind of passing it off like we're doing it all. Instead of admitting the fact that, you know what, God is the one that really helps us in a relationship. And I'm going to say this right now, and, and I know we have people in our, and that are here today, you, you're not sure about this whole God, Christianity, Bible thing. I, I get that. I just don't know how to help you apart from the Bible and God. 
I really don't. And it's not a bias. It's just that I see principles in the Bible that do help relationship. And you can use them, they'll work. But apart from acknowledging the fact that it's God, we don't have a whole lot of hope. And so it's with that mindset, and I know that maybe you feel like that divides you, but, but don't think that Christians have it all together. And I know sometimes people walk into church and be like, oh, Christians just think they have it all together. No, we just hide it better than most. Just saying. We just hide it better than most, all right? We don't have it all together. But you're in a space, an environment where we, we do want to say, you know what? We invite God into our relationships. We invite God into the situation because it's his help that we need. And so especially as we step into the ring of relationship. And it's with that thought in mind, let's dive in to uh, this passage of scripture. Because we want to see God acknowledged here. Because this is a great moment in the history and life of Esther. So let's pick it up and verse number one, but before we do that, let me lay just a little bit of groundwork, okay? In chapter three, we meet a man by the name of Haman. Haman uh, is the second in command to the king of this story, and the king's name is Xerxes, and Xerxes has this second in command named Haman. Haman hates Jews, all right? Why? Because there was one Jew in particular that wouldn't worship him, wouldn't bow down to him. And so he then decided, because that one won't bow down, I hate all of them. But his hatred just didn't stop. You see, sometimes you and I, we feel like, you know what? If I don't check my mood, it's okay for me to get mad. Because an unchecked mood will turn you into somebody who's mad. Mad will turn you into someone who's mean. Mean will turn into somebody who has malice. Malice will turn into somebody who'll murder. You say, what do you mean? That's a really drastic conclusion. I want you to see it. Haman gets mad at one person, Mordecai, and because of him, because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, he eventually says, fine, I'm going to kill every single Jewish person. Wow, that escalated quickly. You know what I mean? And it's just one of those little things. So Haman concocts this plan. He goes to uh, Xerxes and says, I've got this plan. There's these people. They don't follow our customs. They don't follow our ways, and we should just exterminate all of them. And guess what King Xerxes does? He says, that's a good idea. Let's sign it into law. Crazy, right? Crazy. Talk about somebody who's disconnected from reality. Talk about somebody who doesn't have a clue. This is a clueless king. And some of you are looking at your husband like, yeah, I know the feeling. You know, I mean, it's just one of those people where it's just like they just don't have a clue. And here this king. But here's how far it gets. Let me read one verse in chapter 3. Verse 15. The Bible says, then posts went out. Being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman, basically they're saying, hey, the law went out throughout his entire kingdom. And then the Bible says that king, the king and Haman sat down to have drinks. Whoa, you just, you just signed the law that literally the purge is now legal. Like, anybody see the movie The Purge? Yeah, they just did that here in the Bible. And then they were like, let's toast over that. I feel real good. What would you do today? Oh, just signed a decree to exterminate an entire people group. And then they sat down. But here's what's worse. The Bible says that the whole city was perplexed. Even the whole city couldn't figure out what what they were doing. So it's under that context we come to chapter 4. And let's pick it up, verse number 1. The Bible says, when Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay sick in sackcloth and lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. 
She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hatak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they should be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their life. But 30 days have passed since I have been called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come and will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I don't know where you find your relationship right now. The relationship with your spouse, with your partner, boyfriend, or girlfriend, with your children. I don't know where you find yourself. But I want to tell you, and I want to challenge you. Just like Mordecai challenges Esther. Because Esther sees this crisis, sees this situation, and maybe her golden tiara has slipped below her forehead and maybe it's covered her eyes from the reality of what's about to happen. Maybe she's blinded to the fact, or maybe she feels insulated from the fact that maybe because she's a princess and she lives in an ivory tower, that maybe this bad thing will just pass over her and leave her unscathed. But Mordecai says, Esther, you've forgotten why you're in the palace. You're not there to wear a crown. You're not there because you want a beauty contest. You're not there because of your good looks. You are there for such a time as this. And I'm here to tell you this morning, many of you are looking at a relationship and maybe it's bad, maybe it's good. I don't know where you find yourself because in every relationship, you're going to have a good time and there are going to be bad times. There's going to be those happy moments. There's going to be the sad moments. There's going to be those moments where it's tears. And then there's going to be moments where there's cheers. But you're going to have this up and this down. And I don't know the moment you find yourself in right now. But I do want to tell you this morning that you you need to own the moment. You see, Esther wanted the moment to pass by. Esther didn't want to do anything with it. But then Mordecai steps in and says, Esther... The reason you're here, the time that God has given you is yours to own. And if you don't accept responsibility, if you don't step up to the challenge, it's not that you might die, it's that you're already dead. You see, some of you, you feel like, well, I'll just ignore the problems. And maybe the relationship might make it. The fact is, you don't know the relationship is already dead. You're just going to watch it die slowly. Or instead, you could say, you know what? I'm going to own the moment. I'm going to take control of the situation. And I want to see what God will do as I grab this moment and I get everything I can from it. So here's the big question. Esther, if she goes to the king to say, hey, there's this law where all of my family is going to be killed. I'm going to be killed. We need to change this. She's afraid. Bravery is the key to fulfilling your destiny. But many times we let fear 
keep us out of those big opportunities. The fear of what will she say if I ask her out? I hedged my bets because I knew that Jane turned down guys. This was commonly known on our college campus. She was a he or a she man, woman eater, killer, whatever. It was just she had this reputation. But I knew she had this system where she wouldn't turn them down herself. She would have somebody else do her dirty work. So I went to this person. He was a staff member. And I went to him and his wife. And I was like, hey, I'm going to ask Jane out. And they were like, "Mm, I don't know. And I was like, wait, you have to say yes first before I ask her. He was like, oh, you're learning. Okay. All right, Daniel son. You know, it was one of those moments. And so I was like, yes. So then as soon as I approached Jane, I had a roommate say, hey, have her go check her mail. Why check her mail? I have no idea. It just seemed like a romantic place, the post office, you know? I mean, so I'm going to meet her at the post office, and I see her walk in, and I, and I was supposed to catch her on the way in, but I missed her. She was just so beautiful, right? And I just let her walk by, and I was like, okay, psych myself up, psych myself up, and she's coming back out, and then I was like, hey, my name's Micaiah. How are you? And I started to introduce myself, and I was like, hey, I want to ask you out, but before she could say anything, I was like, hey, I already talked to Sean, and Sean says yes. And she was like, I just like, yes, one for Micaiah, zero for you. Wait, no way, that's wrong. We want to win. The relationship wants to win, right? But I just remember at that moment that it was like, wait a minute. I've got to get over my fear. Otherwise, my fear will keep me out of something great. So I'm going to own the moment. Touch your neighbor and say, own the moment. Own the moment. Own the moment. There are moments passing you by in your relationship. I know, husband, that you're busy working late night hours and you come home and you're tired, but there your daughter or your son says, hey, can you spend a few minutes with me? And you say, oh, I got to work late. And you're missing a moment. You come home over a long weekend and you're like, I got this weekend and maybe I can catch up on work or maybe I can catch up on my, my shows or maybe I can catch up on Sports Center. And you're missing a moment with your spouse. And it's time instead of missing the moment that you own the moment because this is the moment that matters. Because one day on your deathbed, you're not going to look back and say, hey, what happened in 2017 between the Niners? Man, they were playing the Giants that day. I wonder what happened, you know? It's not going to matter. We're the O-Niners right now, okay? Just own it. Just accept it, all right? The name has been changed, all right? Yes, I love them too, but it's hurtful, all right? Man, I'm just about to jump ship, go to the, be a Raiders fan or something, you know? So, oh, I know my crowd. There we go. That's right. Bandwagon, you know? Yes. So here we are. We're just missing out on these great opportunities where God wants to work in a special way. And Esther's about to give it up, except for Mordecai challenges her. He calls her out on it. So here's the question. What are you willing to risk to save the relationship? Because in that day and age, around the king, there would be these guards who they had one call, one mission. That was to execute, to terminate any possible or perceived threat that were to come against their king. You can imagine their life is actually pretty boring, right? You just stand and protect the king. Nothing's happened. All of a sudden, princess, yes, you know, and I mean, it's just like opportunity. And the king, if he sits still, her life is over. He has to extend the scepter. It's kind of like God's grace. Death is coming for us, but God extended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's kind of like in Luke chapter number 15, the Bible says the prodigal son, he was coming home, and the prodigal son was worthy of stoning by death, and and the father runs to him. Many of us, we think the father is just a loving father. No, he's trying to save the life of his son, so he has to get to his son before the people do, because by law, he's broken the law, they can stone him. You see, love chased you down. That's how love works. And so we see here that here's this woman. She's going to own the moment. You say, how do I own the moment? First of all, there's going to be this pressure. You're going to encounter this pressure. 
And see, oftentimes what I see happen in relationships is that we get stuck in these ruts. If you've been in a relationship or you've been married for any length of time, what happens is we just call, kind of fall into these dull drums. We fall into this monotonous, this routine where it's just day in and day out. Same thing over and over. The chemistry's gone. Now we're just in the routine, just in the routine, just in the routine. We go to work. We see each other. We say hi, goodbye. We maybe text. We maybe smile. And we just kind of check in. Hey, how was your day? Uh, it's fine. My wife's catching me because I'm doing this grunting thing. I don't know when I started it, but she say, how was your day? Uh. And it's amazing how much I can communicate with my, uh, you know? It's like, how was your day? Uh, you know, that communicates it was a better day, right? Or how was your day? Uh, that communicates more, right? You can communicate so much as grunting. I think I'm, I'm de-evolving, you know, stone man status, okay? Caveman, right? And so uh, I, I got to watch it. But there's this pressure that, what does this pressure do? It shakes something up. This pressure comes into our life and this pressure says, hey, something that used to work isn't working anymore. You see, she's been the queen for five years. For five years, she's enjoyed being in this palace. She's enjoyed everything with it. But what's happened is there's a little self-centeredness that's creeped in. And it can happen to all of us. You see, you say, how do we know she's self-centered? Because she's thinking about herself. Even Mordecai calls her out and says, don't think that you're going to outlive this. Don't think that you're going to get, get by with this. So even her, you know what her option was? As you catch in the verse, she says here to her servant, give Mordecai these clothes and go see him. You know what she wanted? A fast fix to the problem. And that's us, isn't it? We don't want to deal with the problem. We just want a fast fix. What's going to fix this right now? Hey, let me just take you out on a date night and that'll restore everything. Hey, let me just buy you this purse and maybe that'll make everything better. Hey, let me just let you go buy your motorcycle. Maybe that'll just fix everything. Hey, we're fighting. We're not getting along. I know it'll fix this. Let's have a baby. Like, what are we thinking? You know, like, no, no, no. You're already drowning. Now you're going to throw a baby into the mix? No. And I see couples that do that. They just think a baby will solve everything. Now, babies are wonderful. Babies are cute. We love babies. But guess what? If you're already sinking, that's not a great idea. And so here we see this pressure that's come into her life. This pressure is now leading her to say, you know what? God has got something greater because God's purpose is greater than your pressure. You see, some of you are looking at the relationship struggles. You're looking at the marriage. You're saying, I don't know. And the relationship hurdles you have to come overcome are huge. They're turning into mountains. And you keep looking at that mountain. You're saying, man, my spouse was even distant, or my children were distant, or my boss were distant. And it just seems like that mountain is getting bigger. And then you keep going to God, and you're like, dear God, this mountain, do you not see how big this mountain is? And you day after day after day are telling God about how big the mountain is. And one day, I pray that you will wake up, and you will stop telling God how big your mountain is, and you will start telling your mountain how big your God is. Amen? Because God is bigger than your mountain. God is bigger than your relationship challenges. God is bigger than what you're dealt with. You say, I grew up in a home where, guess what? My mom yelled at my dad, and my dad beat on my mom, and it was dysfunctional, and I've been through divorce, and I've been through all this. Guess what? God is bigger than all that. And this pressure is coming to kind of shake things up. And so Esther had to be shaken out of this kind of this this, this stupor that she's in. I say it like this. you got to deal with the real. you got to deal with the real. Too often, we just want to deal with things. We just want to let things go. And it's important when it comes to an offense to drop the offense and not deal with it. That was powerful for me. There's been so many times this week where I've thought, oh, man, I need to deal with this. But then I step back and say, wait a minute, I don't need to deal with this. I'm just going to drop it. And an hour later, I found it didn't even bother me. So here we need to deal with the real. And she's dealing with the fact that maybe she's gotten a little bit self-centered, that she's under this pressure. But even though she's under this pressure, here's what I love. There's only 
one semi-critical statement that Esther ever makes about Xerxes, even though the guy is just colossally clueless. You know, the only semi-negative thing Esther ever says was he hasn't called me in 30 days. We haven't talked in 30 days. That's the only negative thing. All the pressure she's facing, and that's the worst. She doesn't tell Mordecai, hey, my husband's distant. He never spends time with me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. Here's what's amazing. Even though her life is is not great, at that moment, she says, I'm not going to make it worse by talking about the person. You know what we tend to do? We tend to make lists. You get in an argument. You get in a fight. You write down a little list. You're like, okay. You think I'm a spender? You think I'm overweight, you think I'm angry, you think I'm all this, and we write down these lists of just stuff. We're just writing stuff down. You know what happens? Then when the next fight comes around, I got my list. Yeah, I'm ready. I got weapons now. And man, you're just armed to the teeth with your little list. And what are you doing? You're just dumping on that person, just dumping on that person, just dumping on that person. What are you doing to the relationship? You're destroying it. Esther, she's, she's only got one, and it's not even that bad. I just haven't seen my husband in 30 days. I haven't spent time with him in 30 days. Like, like, that's it? Like, that's her spirit? This is an amazing person. You see, you need to take your list and put it in the trash. And so the next time you get in an argument, you say, you know what? I don't got anything. Or oh, remember we fought last time? I don't remember. I let it go. I dropped that offense. That'll revolutionize some of your relationships right there. Where you just say, you know what? I'm no longer going to keep a list on what you hurt me with. I'm no longer going to keep a list on what you said or what you did or what you didn't do or how you came across or how that was perceived or how you were a little emotional or I was a little bit emotional or I was a little bit upset or you were working too hard or I wasn't working too hard or wasn't doing something. I'm going to let the list go. Somebody touch your neighbor and say, hey, let the list go. Let the list go. Because Esther wasn't going to turn her marriage into a monster. And some of you can do that. You can take that relationship that was working, that you fell in love with that person, you love that person, they're an amazing person, and you can turn the marriage into a monster. And you've been around those relationships. And some of you are like, yes, I want to have this really big, ugly monster. No, let's not do that. Let's own the moment. You say, what, how do I own the moment? First of all, it starts with pressure. But then the very next step, I want you to see what she does with that pressure. Many of us, we freak out when there's pressure, right? We just go berserk. I'm learning to handle pressure better. I'm growing in this. But it's not natural for me. It's not natural for me to keep a cool head and a warm heart. That's not natural. That takes spiritual work. That takes the work of the Holy Spirit. But notice what Esther does. Notice chapter 4, verse number 15. The Bible says, here's what Esther says. She says to her family, she said, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What are you willing to do to save the relationship? She said, if I die, I die. She's willing to die for her relationship. She's willing to do whatever it took to win back the love of her life. She's doing whatever it took to win and save her family. And some of us, we get offended because our spouse wants us to cut down on our TV time. Wants us to cut down and not be on the phone so much. Wants us just to cut down on things. Did you know, just by having, I was in this conference this week, it was amazing. Just by having your phone in the same room as you, your connection with the person drops by 90% just because the phone is in the same room. Did you know some of you, you subconsciously, you think you're, wherever you put your phone vibrates sometimes? And you reach for it, you're like, oh, I didn't get a minute. It's called phantom vibrations. It's what it's doing to our brains, y'all. 
and it's destroying our relationships. And you're turning your relationship into a monster where you can't engage. Because if your phone's there, you just had this compulsive urge to disengage from the person you're in front of, and you just want to check your phone. How many likes did I get? i got to update something right now. I really need to post something. And it's just this instinct inside of you. You want your relationship to change? Just put the phone in another room. It can't be in the same room as you. Because if you see it and you're like, oh, it's just down. It's just there. I got this watch thing that starts buzzing. So i got to even take off the watch and be like, oh, man, Satan, get behind me. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. So sometimes we just don't even understand that there are things that we're doing to our relationship we, we don't even understand. So here she says, I'm going to go in, and if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to save this relationship. Here's how she does. She prepares. This is self-correction. She fasts and prays for three days. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time before you got into a fight with your significant other that you came to them and said, hey, we're about to fight. Just want to let you know. I've been fasting for three days, and I've prayed. Let's do this. Game on. That's not fair. That's just not fair. You just went and brought the, brought the Holy Spirit in this. You just brought heaven to bear. You just did all that. You fixed the fight for real. For real. That's how you're supposed to fix the fight. Don't you think three days of prayer and three days of fasting would be revolutionary in how you fought? Don't you think it would change everything, how you view that significant other? That you're like, hey, baby, guess what I've been praying? And guess what? I was so mad. I was so upset. But guess what? I started praying. And day one, I was really upset. Day two, I was super upset. Day three, I don't know, there's peace. It's like, ooh, say. It was just calmness. I just, it was the Holy Spirit just started working. Now I'm hungry. I'm hangry. But it's okay. We'll get through that. What if you did that? That's how Esther prepares. She's like, I'm going to go talk to the king. We've got to work out something major. And the king just signed all my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, and my, my relatives to die. I didn't like them that much. She weighed the pros and cons, right? And she's like, well, I do like them. I do like them. I better do something. And so she's going to go to the king. But how did she prepare? How are you preparing for your fights? I know how you prepare. Where's my list, baby? I got a list. Where's page two, page three? You wrote the encyclopedia with problems and all these things you're about to bring up. Instead of saying, wait a minute, no, no, I'm not going to prepare with the list. I'm going to prepare and get spiritually ready. She prayed because she created a marriage altar, and many an altar would alter a marriage. If you would say, God, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to see what God can do. But then, notice what she does. This is so awesome. Chapter number five. She goes to the king, and I want you to step into the scene for a moment and feel the tension of this. Here's what the Bible says in chapter 5, verse number 1. It says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. Now step back and stop for a second. For three days, she was thinking, these might be my very last three days. How would you spend your last three days? Would you spend them on your knees not eating? You're like, no, if I know I only got three days left, partay. I'm going to eat. I'm going I'm to cause some trouble. I'm going to make a mess, and yeah, then we're going to get it on. Like, no. Here she is. She says, okay, bring my crown, bring my special robes. So I'm prepared. I'm ready. And here's the moment. You can imagine she steps before the king's hall, and they see her off into the distance, and immediately everybody's silence. You can see Xerxes, maybe he's holding up a scroll, maybe he's in a war council, maybe things are happening, people are talking to him, and immediately everybody's just hushed. Because you do not approach King Xerxes unless summoned. It's instant and sudden death. 
And there you see the queen, regal from head to toe. And everybody's quiet, wondering what's going to happen. And everybody just kind of nervously looks at the king. And maybe they see the scepter in his hand. And maybe he taps on his scepter, wondering what to do. Because remember, his first wife, Vashti, when he called her and she didn't come, he had her banished. Now his second wife, she's come and he did not call her. This man has a hyperinflated ego. What is he about to do? And it's into that scene the Bible says that he raises the scepter. Could you imagine the relief that all of a sudden the scepter is raised? Could you imagine her sweaty palms? Could you imagine her heart beating out of her chest? Could you imagine her nervousness as she's about to walk through? And here's what the Bible says. I love it. The Bible is so good. It's not boring. It is awesome. When he saw Queen Esther stand in the court, he was pleased with her and held out a scepter, the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request, even up to half of the kingdom? And then the Bible says that she did have a request. And some of you are like, that's it. That's my moment. Some of you have done this. Your husbands, we've come home. And we say, hey, honey, how are you? And your wife says, fine. You know it's not fine. You should just say, I have overtime. I just went to grab a sandwich. I got something to do. I think there's a neighbor's house is burning. But it's too late. You're already in the house. The door's already shut. You already put the briefcase down. You're in it, right? You would think, oh, this is her time to open a can of keep a G, keep a G. And uh, yeah, something. And uh, no, does she do that? No. Watch what Esther does. The Bible says this. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant me a petition, fulfill my request. Let king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet and I'll prepare for them. Then he will answer the king's question. What does she do? I think this is interesting. Instead of just going off on the king right there in front of all of his council, she doesn't do it. She invites him to eat. Now at first, I looked at that. And, you know, my, my seminary mind, my, my, my Bible scholar's training, I was looking for the deep meaning. And I was like, wait a minute, she hasn't eaten in three days. She's hangry. She's hungry. She just wanted to eat. That's a smart move. That's a smart move. I'll tell you this. You will get way more accomplished if both of you have eaten and you feel good. Your fights won't be as bad. But if you, on the way to the restaurant, you both are just hungry, just can it until after Applebee's. And I'm, uh, trust me, you may not even have a fight. Actually, something else might happen. Might be good. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, baby number three or something. I don't know. It, it could. It could happen. You never know. God is good. Am I allowed to say that in church? I just did. Anyway. But then at this banquet, they get there. My wife's in the back. She's like, what are you saying? I, I don't know. And they get there to the banquet. And notice what happens. You think, okay. And it was in and that day, the Persian decorum was that, that you would wait till the king had finished eating. And at the end of the meal, after the last course had been served, then you would ask the king his petition. But she still doesn't do that. Instead, she invites him to a second dinner. But as I was reading it, it wasn't that she just invited him to a second dinner. It was actually, this is what happened. The Bible says, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this, but... The Bible is actually translated from Hebrew, and we don't get all the emotional connection. 
we actually miss what is lost in the translation. And this is what's lost in the translation. That she's about to say something, but then she changes her mind. Which is totally crazy. Women never change their mind. So I don't know why Esther decided to. She changes her mind. In the Hebrew, it's like she's about to say something, but she stops. Here's the last reality. You say, I'm going to own the moment. You say, Pastor, how do I own the moment? I feel like my relationships are spinning out of control. There's going to be pressure. You're going to have to prepare. But then hit pause. Hit pause. Why do you feel like you have to dive into it? Why do you feel like the fight has escalated, so now you just got to keep running with it? And some of you, you don't know how to hit pause. You know how to hit buttons. You know how to push each other to the edge. But just like I said, and write this down, it'll be up on the screen. You need to hit pause. She's in the middle, and as she's saying something, she stops. Something happened. We don't know. Did she see Haman? Did she look at her husband and say, he's not ready for it? She had studied her husband. She knew when he was ready to receive it, and he was not ready to receive it. And some of us, we're like, well, I just keep talking to my spouse or I keep talking to my children. And if they're not ready to receive, then don't speak. Pause. Some of you are like, well, I'm praying for God to work and God's not working fast enough. You haven't created room for God to work. You need to hit the pause. You see, many times we want that quick fix. What took you 10 years to destroy the relationship, you're not going to fix in 10 minutes. You say, well, I prayed about it. I fasted. Breakfast till lunch. I fasted. Nothing happened. You need to see that there are two ways to destroy a car. Just like there are two ways to destroy a relationship. You can take your car, get in the driver's seat, and you can hit a cinder block wall. You total your car. Gone. Or just never change the oil in your car. You'll destroy it. Most of you have not destroyed your relationship because you drove it into a cinder block wall. You just ignored it. And you ignore it long enough. And guess what? You actually miss the part where they used to yell at you. You actually miss the part where you would come home and they were frustrated with you. Slamming doors, sleeping in the other bedroom. Because now you're getting nothing. No reaction. They don't cry anymore. They don't complain. They've learned to live with a new normal. Your relationship is on life support. It's barely there. Once you've gotten to that point, it's in emergency mode. And you need to learn, not when the relationship's almost dead to go get help, but when you see things escalating, to hit pause. To say, God, i got to stop this right now. To see that, you know what, we're getting too heated, we're getting too loud. You know what, the kids are starting to wonder, you know what, this isn't going very well. We need to stop. And one of you needs to hit the pause button. One of you needs to own the moment. Instead of letting the moment own you. And many of you, you're letting the moment own you. You're letting your emotions own you. You're letting circumstances own you. And you wonder why you're hopping from relationship to relationship to relationship. Because you've never learned how to own the moment. And God is saying, hey, this is the moment. This is the moment I want for your relationship. This is the moment I want for your marriage. This is what I want for you. But if you're not ready to own it, guess what? You're never going to see anything different. So some of you, you're letting great moments pass you by. And it's time to say, you know what? This is the moment that God is 
was given to me. Just like Mordecai said, Esther, for such a time as this, guess what? This is that moment in your relationship. You can keep going and it'll keep dying. Or you could say, you know what? I'm going to hit the pause button. And it's because Esther hit the pause button that night. The Bible says that King Xerxes couldn't sleep. In the middle of the night, he can't sleep. So the Bible says he calls for a servant. He said, hey, I can't sleep. So they bring the book of Chronicles and they start reading and they read this passage about Mordecai and how Mordecai saved Xerxes' life. And Xerxes says, what did we ever do for Mordecai? And they tell him, you did nothing. All of a sudden, that's a God thing. That he just so happened to open to a certain book, a certain page, to read a certain story. That is God at work. You don't think God can save your relationship? God can most definitely save your relationship. If he could save your soul, he could save your relationship. Here's what your problem is. Your control issues reveals that you have trust issues. You don't trust God. That as you push pause and you step back and say, God, I can't do this. God, I can't save this marriage. I can't save these children. I can't save this job. But God, I'm done trying to control this. I'm done trying to manipulate this. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do everything I can to own the moment. But God, I've hit pause and I'm going to give you space to work. And some of you, that's what you need to do right now. You just need to give space. I know sometimes, Jane and I, we'll get into a humdinger, man. I'm telling you what, I'm German. She's Filipino. And Germans, we try to take over the world twice failed and uh, so we're a little bit stubborn a little bit persistent and if that's offensive I do apologize and uh, but my wife she's Filipino and guess what Filipino women they're they're tough man they're tough they really are all right and uh, so we can have our our how shall we say it our rather colorful uh uh, uh interactions and um you know there's moments where either she'll say hey I need a minute can I tell you the times I've ignored that have really made it awkward and it really got bad but the times we said, okay, yeah, that's cool. If we just give some space, it's amazing. All of a sudden, that toilet paper can be anyway. We, can, we don't have to use toilet paper. We just, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just like, who cares? We're not going to fight over it. We're not going to fight over pizza, pepperoni. We're not going to fight over, did you watch that episode? We're not going to fight over those things because it's like, wait a minute. We just, it's not that big of a deal. Because we gave each other some space. And some of you, you just feel like, no, no, no. We just got to stay up all night. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Can you just let that one go and say, you know what? Hey, we're going to find a good point to stop and pause and let God work and let God do something great. Here's what Esther did that was powerful. And yeah, this is more directed to the women. She set her husband up for an easy yes. You ask a dude to go get food, he's going to say yes. This is subliminal messaging. She's conditioning him to say yes. She says, hey, you want to go to eat with me? Of course he's going to say yes. And then he says, hey, so what do you want? You want to go eat again tomorrow? Yes. Hey, you want to save my people? Yeah. Wait, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> See what she did? Uh-huh. You like that. Yeah, some of you ladies learned from Esther. Wise woman right here. She has this subliminal conditioning. That's what it was. She set her husband up for an easy yes. Some of you, you're setting up your spouse to lose. Can I tell you who's actually losing? Your relationship. That's who loses. Because if you do this, chalk one up for me. Mm-hmm. Spouse wins again. Husband zero. You're destroying God's amazing gift. And one day you're going to come back and say, how do I fix this? And you trying to manipulate and you trying to force it. Like I said, 10 years is not fixed in 10 minutes. You need time. You need a lot of time. Can I tell you this? What it took to win her still works. But we forget that. We start quoting Bible verses. Now I'm going to get on to us men. Husband's supposed to submit to their women. That's right. Bible says that Sarah called her husband Lord. I think we should try that. Like, <laughs> Lord. 
Can you not ever, ever? I don't need to do that much marriage counseling. That is way too much marriage counseling. And it just, no. Wives, submit to your husbands. Here's the thing. The Bible says that a husband is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Christ died for the church. Are you willing to die for your wife, sir? That's the barometer. You see, love is on a whole nother level. If you're not willing to love like that, do not get in a relationship with somebody. Because that's where Christ sets the bar. And if that person that you're in a relationship with that says, oh, I love you, but says I only love with you if I can sleep with you, I'm sorry. They don't love you. Love is not built on whether they can give away some skin. Love is built on whether or not they will lay down their life for you. That's love. We throw around love today like it's just easy. We're just dishing out love. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. No. That means something. That should stand for something. And so Esther set her husband up for love. Esther, she said, I'm going to set him up for an easy yes. How are you helping your spouse? You see, Esther, and I'm closing with this. I've got to wrap it up. I've got too much to say. Esther made her husband better because she got better. It started with self-centeredness, didn't it? First chapter, she was just, it was about her. Then she went into self-correct, self-correct, not spouse-correct, not blame, not point out fingers, not you did, she did, this happened, you did, and when this, no, self-correct. And then you know what happens? When the self-centered's gone, you self-correct, guess what you have left? You got self-control. There's nothing more awesome than a husband and wife that has self-control. Says, I don't have to say those mean things. I don't have to lock you out. I don't have to make you sleep on the couch. I got self-control. I can pause it before I ever get to my red line. Why do we let it get there? You love that person. You love your children. Why would you do anything to jeopardize it? And I know why. I get, I get the same way. I'm not perfect. Like I said, Christians, we don't have it perfect. We just hide it better than everybody else. All right? That's the truth. My marriage has gone through some dark days dark days and there will be to come but I've decided to own the moment my wife always made fun of me that I bought this she said that's kind of weird man why are you buying a little hourglass I thought it'd be cool having my desk but then it doesn't really work like the sand stops and I'm like how much time it doesn't even really work but then today I finally get to use it I've only had it for like eight years People ask me, they were like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know. Every week I've had an illustration. I just grabbed it. Actually, I forgot it. My wife grabbed it for me. But you can take the moments into control. And you can say, here's how I'm going to use this moment. This holiday is going to be around some people that really know how to test you. How are you going to own the moment? 